Today we will just focus our attention upon Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. Now, we're going to read down through verse 27 in our reading today, but we are only going to focus on verses 20 through 24. And uh, so if you are able to stand with me, please do so. (coughs) Excuse me. And let's read verses 22 through 27 together. As we do every Sunday, let's read together and let's read aloud. Verse 22, Paul is speaking. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we gather once again to honor you and to bless you in our times of praise and thanksgiving. We come now to hear from you, Lord. To allow your Holy Spirit to move among us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to teach us, Lord, the lessons of your word. I pray, Father, that as we look at the life of Paul and and see here today his very heart, and if I may, Lord God, the very core of his heart in the words that he shares, That we ourselves, Lord God, will take into full consideration its meaning and its power to our own lives. May you stir our hearts today through your spirit. To bring us to that place where we can say with Paul, none of these things shall move me. So Lord, we will continue on in the course that you have given to us. That we, might cl- uh, that we might complete it and fulfill it with joy and with gladness until the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, Father, that you will continue to be with Rose Alvarado's father and with her family as they continue to be at his side in the last stages of his life. May you strengthen, Lord, this family today. With all of your grace and mercy and love, in Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Before I begin, I just want to mention to those of you who may be here for the first time, we welcome you to Calvary Chapel. We're very blessed to have you here. For all of you who come every week, I welcome you too. 
It's always a blessing to look out to see you and to know how precious it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ, to appreciate God's love together and God's mercies together. I never want to take any day with you for granted. I want you to know that I love you and I care for you and for God's purpose in your life. Mariners in ancient times who set sail in their little shell-shaped boats seem to have always tended to hug the coastline, not daring to go too far from land or get too, too far away from land. Navigational aids uh, were few, if any, and their sailing vessels were at the mercy of the wind and the waves. The slightest sign of a storm would send them scurrying and bustling and scuttling about for refuge. Furthermore, the old-time adventurers were haunted by thoughts of the legendary and fabled Lodestone Mountain. They believed that this mountain had the power to draw their boats to shipwreck on its shores against all the pulls of tide and wind. Well, there are those biblical commentators today who strongly believe that Jerusalem was Paul's Lodestone Mountain. That Jerusalem was that mountain drawing him to shipwreck. They cite a part of Paul's testimony given in, Jer- in Jerusalem as, as evidence that Paul was outside of the will of God. This actually is something that we hear him speak about in testimony in Jerusalem after the events that we are covering today. For example, Acts 22, just a couple of pages forward. Verses 17 to 21. Again, understand, Paul, speaking to his Jewish brethren in Jerusalem, is saying this. He's giving testimony, and he's saying, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also uh, standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And these are words that some commentators would say, Well, you see, God never really wanted him to go back to Jerusalem. And yet he was more than likely referring to his, own, his first journey to Jerusalem about three years after his conversion. And if we look at Scripture carefully, we can go back to Acts chapter 9 and verses 28 through 30. And actually, a larger part of this, I'm just giving you a smaller portion of it. But there it says, So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he speak, spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So even early on when he was in Jerusalem, he was having problems. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So in that particular case, and I believe that that's what he was speaking of in Acts chapter 22, and we'll study that further when we get there. But it was a combination of divine revelation as God was speaking to him in that particular trance, but also human direction as his brethren were wanting to get him out of of that city and take him down uh, to Caesarea eventually to get him back to Tarsus. But years later, Jerusalem was drawing him. 
as he longed to be a blessing to the people of the holy city of Jerusalem, and especially to the church there once again by bringing to them the offering that was collected by the churches in Europe and in Asia. And we ought not to forget that that was something that was, was deeply on Paul's heart to, to not only send it, but to take it himself. So now he's going to Jerusalem again. And as he's bearing his heart and his soul to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, it is clear that he is going bound in spirit. Let's read again verses 22 and 23 where it says, And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. It's very important to see the words that Paul is using here about his connection, as it were, to this burden on his heart for Jerusalem. He says, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. <clears throat> now, what we first need to understand is that Paul's emphasis is now shifted from the past to the present. In the first few verses that we read last week, or I should say last time, a couple of weeks ago, as he begins to speak to the, uh, the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he was talking about his past. But at this point, he switches now to the present. He speaks of this time and where he's going. The present and his future plans, as it were. And as a dedicated servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul had a, a single-minded devotion to his sole life's purpose. His one life's purpose. And he gives his very own description of himself in the statement, I go bound in the Spirit. I go bound in the Spirit, declaring his strong compulsion to fulfill his ministry. I go bound in the Spirit. The word that is used here for the English word bound is commonly used for referring to physical binding with either chains or ropes. So he uses the term figuratively. Now, many times in the scriptures, the word is used for physical binding. For those that have been imprisoned or chained. And it happened, of course, to Paul as well. But then it is used figuratively in the scriptures to speak of the powerful tie of the marriage bond. So, you know, Paul is using a very important word here. When he says, I am bound in the spirit. And while he didn't know what things would happen to him there in Jerusalem, he did know that persecution awaited him. Since the Holy Spirit had testified, more than likely, through uh, prophecy and prophetic word, at every stop where Paul had been. All along the way, as Paul is, is making his way through the churches in Europe and in Asia, he has given indication that at some point in time, if he mentions his, his flight to Jerusalem, or is going to Jerusalem, or is wanting to go to Jerusalem, that somebody probably gave a word to Paul to say, Paul, these things will await you there. These things are going to happen to you there. Now, some men would shrink with this kind of information and knowledge. Now, how many times have we seen in the past in the book of Acts that Paul gets in the middle of things that happened not too long ago back in Ephesus? But Paul gets in the middle of things and the church has to help him get out of those situations. But he would have stayed. So he's hearing all of these things. 
Trouble awaits you in Jerusalem. Some men would shrink with this kind of information and knowledge. Trouble awaits. I'm going to go the other way. I'm not ready to handle trouble right now. I think I'll go in another direction. I think I'll go to another city. I think I'll go where it's safe. Not the Apostle Paul. Lesser men would have sought and found some way of escape. Not the Apostle Paul. He was too gripped by his calling and his devotion to his master to look for some safe and easy way out. But I want you to take note of a few things. Please take note of a few things. First of all, note the devotion of Paul. Note the devotion of Paul. Walking so closely to the Lord that the Holy Spirit prepares him for every trial he was to face. Take note of that. See, we have to get away from this idea that every time we get into some troubled situation, that we say, God, where are you? (laughs) Why am I where I am? Isn't God with you? Don't you walk closely enough with God that when, when you find yourself in a place, that may be where God wants you to be for that very moment, that very hour. So note that devotion, walking so closely to the Lord that the Holy Spirit prepares him for every trial he was to face. By the way, if the Holy Spirit prepared Paul for every situation and for every trial that he was to face, do you not think that he will not prepare the way for us as well? And does he not do it? Secondly, I want you to note the courage of Paul. Note the courage of Paul, marching forth in spite of the fact that he knows the unbelievable trials and sufferings awaiting him. He doesn't know exactly what those troubles are, but he knows that there's something waiting for him. And he continues to march on. He continues to be bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, no matter what awaits him. That's the courage that God gives us when we know where God wants us to be. Where we know where God wants us to serve Him. And then I want you to note the enduring commitment of Paul. Note the enduring commitment of Paul, persevering and continuing on with the Lord in spite of an unending series of persecutions and in spite of knowing that such afflictions awaited him no matter where he went. Up to this point in time, Paul has, has, has already faced uh, beatings. Paul has faced imprisonments. Paul has faced perils as he's spoken to the Corinthian church in his letters and written to them in his letters as we've covered so many times in the last few weeks. Time and again we see him in perils of his own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils wherever he goes. And he continues to, to, to face those things. But this is what Paul taught his protégés. This is what Paul taught his disciples, his sons in the faith, Timothy, Titus, and others. This is what he taught the churches. We see Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, and it says, For to you, Paul says to them, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. 
He's not mincing any words and he's not trying to show uh, any, any sort of, uh, uh, you know, escape valve here or there. He just says, this is the way it is. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also to suffer for his sake. That is the reality of the cross. That is the reality of service for Christ. To Timothy, in a more personal way, Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm mincing any words. Paul is imprisoned at this very time. Paul is just days away, if not uh, hours away from his own death, as he's writing this last letter to Timothy. And he says, Yea, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And at the risk of getting ahead of myself, let me say that uncertainty did not move Paul. Uncertainty did not move Paul. Even though he didn't know what things would happen to him there in Jerusalem, he he would not be moved from his cause. He would have been able to sing these words from Psalm 16, verse 8. He would have been able to say with all of his heart and sing with all of his heart, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And I want us to take a, a moment to meditate on that. I don't want that, that slide to get out of, out of, our, out of our, our view here. I have set the Lord always before me. Folks, if, we're all, if, if we wonder at all how we can stay focused upon the Lord, it is because we set the Lord before us, not behind us. We set the Lord before us, not apart from us. We set the Lord before us. You can see Him better that way. Amen? You see Him better. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. What are the promises that God has given to His people from the very beginning? I will be with you, He said to Moses. He said to Joshua the same thing. I'll be with you. I will not leave you. I won't forsake you. To his disciples, Jesus said to them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. No matter what. See, my tra- in my version, you know, Charlie ver- Charlie's Bible version, I'm not really adding this. This is just implied. I shall not be moved no matter what. No matter what I face, no matter what comes and falls in front of me, I still have the Lord before me. No matter what pains or sufferings or afflictions or trials or tragedies fall in front of me, I shall not be moved. And if Paul, if there was anyone who could, who could testify to that, that was Paul. And of course, this leads, to, uh, this leads us to, to Paul's next great statement here in verse 24, which is the focus of our attention today. When Paul says, but none of these things move me. 
Yes, in every city, someone, somebody has prophesied, you know, there's trouble awaiting me in Jerusalem. But none of these things move me. I've already been beaten. I've already been stoned. I've already been imprisoned and shackled. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, when you combine the ideals of consecration and dedication, when you combine the ideals of consecration, which is what God does in setting us apart for His work and His glory, when we combine the ideals of consecration and dedication from our, from our hearts, the dedication itself is our hearts because we've been set apart for the Lord and our dedication to serve Him. When we combine the ideals of consecration and dedication in the life of the Apostle Paul, you realize that his was a testimony of total abandonment to Jesus Christ. Total abandonment to Jesus Christ. Now, the word abandon or abandonment, those two words, uh, have various meanings to them. If you abandon something in, 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 a, in a poor sense or a bad sense, you know, it's, it's, it would be to, to leave something alone. You know, we oftentimes hear about parents abandoning their children. You know, that's not a good thing, is it? So to abandon is to get up and to leave something to itself. That's the the bad view of of that particular word. But there's another way of looking at the word abandon or, or abandonment. Because abandonment in Paul's case can be defined in this manner. Paul yielded completely. Now listen carefully. Paul yielded completely and totally to the emotions and impulses that bound him to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we say that we live life with abandon, we are yielding completely and totally to the emotions and impulses of that life. But when we consider Paul, we consider that he yielded completely and totally to the emotions and impulses in his own heart that bound him to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In effect, he abandoned all of his previous passions and pursuits to live a life of complete abandonment to the cause of Christ. Completely yielded and totally committed to the cause of Christ, to the cross of Jesus Christ, and to the kingdom of God itself. That's what he abandoned. That, that, that's what he abandoned the life in this world to live with abandon for Christ. And Paul's priorities gave indication of this. Paul only had really one priority. That was Jesus. But if we were to consider priorities, Paul gave, uh, Paul's priorities gave indication of this. Now, he looked at life from a higher perspective than most. And I'm not saying that Paul was better than anybody else. And that we, ought, that we all ought not to be able to look at life from a higher perspective. We should. Why? Because we're not of this world, number one. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be spiritual creatures more than we are physical creatures. 
So therefore we ought to look at things from a spiritual perspective. So listen, he looked at life from a higher perspective than most. And if you look at the things he says in verse 24, self-preservation was not high on his list of priorities. Self-preservation was not high on his list of priorities. He was prepared to lose both liberty and life itself for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was prepared to lose both life and liberty itself for the cause of Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. There you go. I love to hear the Bible pages turning. Romans 8 and verse 35. And I know you're not just turning those pages just to make me feel good. (laughs) Or just to get a little breeze going there. Romans 8, verse 35. Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. You know, Paul is putting himself, by the way, in verse 36, a verse that comes right out of the, the, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, for, you, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's putting himself there. Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword separate us from the love of From the love of Christ, listen, we're killed all the day long. Yet in all these things, and notice verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. It's one thing being a conqueror, when you're more than a conqueror, that's even better. We are more than conquerors to Him who loved us. But notice how we are more than conquerors through Him, Jesus Christ, who loved us. We're not more than conquerors because we have more wisdom and more, more uh, intellectual knowledge or physical strength. No. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, Him who went to the cross, Him who died for us, Him who shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, Him who was buried, and He who was dead for us, and yet now is alive because He's risen from the dead. Through Him who loved us. So Paul could say in verse 38, For I am persuaded... That's a very strong statement in the Greek language. But he says, for I am persuaded. In effect, he says, I am so persuaded, I won't be moved from this. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Now, folks, if you, if you stop there for a moment, you're either dead or you're alive. So if you're dead or alive, I mean, that, that pretty much covers it all, doesn't it, as far as humans are concerned. Neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come. Now, present are things to come. I mean, the past is already past, but the present is here, and things to come. Even anything there. And then he says, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other created thing, every dimension possible. He says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including yourself, by the way. You are a created thing, aren't you? I'm talking to you all. (laughs) None of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the point here. I am persuaded I will not be moved from the very fact that neither death nor life nor any of these things. He covers the whole gamut of every dimension possible to say that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But then Paul says this. Paul didn't count his life dear unto himself. Paul did not count his life dear unto himself. His life was not for him to use and to do as he pleased and certainly not for comfort or pleasure. There's nothing wrong with comfort or pleasure. We all like comforts and pleasures and God has given us many of them. But the point is that with Paul, his life was not for himself. It was for Christ. You see, this is where some people go off the deep end into thinking that they can just believe and do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it. Folks, we are supposed to be bond slaves of Jesus Christ. And if He is the bird, if He is the, the very strength of our life, the very purpose that we live this life in, in this world, so that we can bring others to Christ. that we want to know everything that He says to us, that we are to be, so that He will be honored and glorified and not us. Paul said, I put no confidence in my flesh. Jesus said, look unto me, all you who labor and have you laid, and I'll give you rest. Point is, Paul didn't look to himself, he looked to Jesus. He says, my life is, is, is not dear to myself. You see, the word dear here literally means something that is precious and valuable. We, we know a lot of people in our lives that have become dear to us, precious and valuable. Our family, friends, brothers in Christ. But when Paul considers his purposes before God, He says, I don't count my life dear to myself. He's not beating himself up. This is not a cause of alarm to think that Paul is, you know, is, is, has a low self-esteem. Ain't that. Paul is just telling the reality of it all, folks. Our lives are not to be dear to ourselves. His life was now a precious and valuable possession of the Lord. I think that's better. It's better. That's how the Lord values us. Paul did not count his life dear to himself. What we, des- what we see here in verse 24 is that Paul wished to finish the course of his life with joy. 
faithfully and diligently running the Christian race to the very end. He wants to finish the course of his life with joy. And he uses some very interesting words. Words that bring us, brings, uh, that, that should bring to mind the, the Olympic Games, athletic events. For example, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. You can turn there. <laughs> I don't want y'all getting lazy just looking up here. You turn there. It's early morning still. It's only 10 o'clock. We still got some life left in us. Now I'm beginning to wonder if you guys are turning those things just to make me feel good. Hurry up and get there. <laughs> Do you not know, Paul says, that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? In other words, there wasn't gold, silver, and bronze. It wasn't like today with some of these, you know, uh, kids sporting things where every, you know, nobody loses. We all get, you all win. How do you learn? To be determined, diligent, disciplined. Well, that's, an, that's for another story. I get, I, get, I get really uptight with that. But Paul is telling us, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run, he says, in such a way that you may obtain it. There's a prize. Press toward it. Go for it. I think that's what Paul's saying here. Paul was the first to say, go for it. Go for it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. The winner of, a, of an event, a running event or a throwing event or whatever it was, whether it was a sprinting or a long distance, whatever it is, they received a prize. Only one of them got it. And, and the winner, the one who crossed the line first, would get this prize. What was it? It was a laurel crown or wreath on your head. And it probably smelled okay because it was probably pretty fresh for that day. But you, you know, but if, you know, if you kept wearing it, it'd start drying out and eventually start, you know, kind of itching you and stuff. So you, t- you know, I mean, it just perished eventually. You know, nowadays we get gold, silver, and bronze medals and, and, you know, those are nice to keep and all, but the point being is that they're still perishable. He says, now they do it to, uh, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, but not as one who beats the air. In other words, I don't get into this thing for shadow boxing, folks. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. Paul is saying, listen, you press. You press. 
to obtain that prize. Because we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I think it becomes even more clear to us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, when Paul says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. And there's that word press. I've been using it, but here it is. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And the idea of this pressing is, is an idea of that disciplining and of that beating of the body and getting it into that agonizing place to where you're, you're, you're doing this so that eventually as you keep yourself in that condition you will win the prize he says I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me and that fits with what he's saying in verse 24 of Acts 20 when he says none of these things move me None of these things are going to get me out of my discipline schedule, out of my getting, pressing on to this call. And I don't count my life dear to myself so that I might finish the race with joy. Finish the course with joy. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I tell you what, people have been moved. They followed after Christ. They've been serving the Lord with, 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 with great gifts and talents and whatnot. And then eventually one day they just say, you know what, I'm just going to chuck it. And they go on in their own little philosophical ways trying to figure things out and telling other people, oh, I don't have to do that anymore because I've, I've already figured life out. They were moved by the things of the world. They were moved. But Paul said, don't be moved. You run the race. Notice in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That's a a beautiful verse of Scripture. That's telling us, Paul, is just like us. We don't understand everything. Anybody here understand everything? There are some people today who have left the church to say, I finally understand everything. No, you don't. As long as you're in Christ, there are still thousands of things we don't understand. But you know what? I know the one who does. And I can rest in him. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Aren't you just glad that Paul likes simple things? You read books, the 20 ways to do this and that. Paul says, I did one thing. Paul's book would be about this then. You know, in the, in the bookstore, Barnes and Noble. This thing. One thing I do, here it is. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here again, we see the word press. I press, I agonize toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I shall not be moved. Paul desired to finish the ministry that the Lord Jesus had given him. That of proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God. And you think of the history of Paul preaching the grace of God, even having to stand in the face of the Apostle Peter to teach him a lesson about the grace of God. We studied that already in the book of Acts. And in the book of Galatians. 
Paul wasn't going to let even an, an apostle of Jesus Christ move him away from his calling. And he was willing to follow the Lord no matter where it took him. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul understood the words of Jesus clearly. This is certainly the reason why. He understood him clearly. John chapter 12, Jesus said in John chapter 12 verses 25 and 26, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The paradox of faith. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world. Now, this is what it means to hate your life in this world. I do not count myself, my life dear to myself. Do you understand now what Jesus is saying? Paul is saying the same thing. I do not count my life dear to myself. So Jesus says, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. It's following Christ. Oh, by the way, it's following Christ alone. Not Christ plus something else. It's following Christ and him alone. You see, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37... Through 39, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You see, we don't understand the word hate like, like, like the biblical understanding of hate when, when Jesus uses the word. There's an even stronger passage in John, uh, I should say Luke 14, about discipleship, where Jesus says, unless a person hates his father, mother, sister, brother, and all of that, you're not my disciple. And we go, oh my God, no, no, he doesn't want you to stop loving them and then hate them. What he's saying is, if you don't love him more than everything else, if you're loving the things in this world more than Jesus, you can't be his disciple. So he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life We'll lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who loses his life, he who dies to himself, finds his life in me. This is why Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul would eventually complete his course. We know this. Proclaiming his fulfillment to his son in the faith, Timothy. And again, I say in 2 Timothy chapter 4 here, the last letter that Paul writes. And he says to Timothy, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I love Paul. He He loves sports. He loved boxing. He used those terms. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. He was a, he was a decathlete. He didn't just do one, one sport, he did them all. 
I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm not going to be alone. I'm not the only one running this race. Those of you who believe in Jesus Christ and you press on as I have learned to press on, you will have that crown too. And God will honor you when He says, Enter in, my good and faithful servant. Well, sounds great. But you see, I have to say that there are some times that we do get tired in the race. There are some times when we get tired in the race. We may even want to say that we'd get out of the race if we could. And there are a lot of times that even in the ministry, we'd like to say this is about it. I've often said this. Serving the Lord in in ministry is, is a great thing if it weren't for the people. Not talking about you. <laughs> Sometimes we get tired. We may even want to get out of the race. But to finish the race, that's one thing. To finish the race, we need to do one thing. To finish the race, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us there that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now what does that translate to in in, in athletic terms as Paul was using it? He is the starting line and the finish line of our faith. Let's read it. Look at Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. And this is what convinces me even more that Paul is the author of this this particular letter, though his name isn't on it. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, we're in that great Colosseum of eternity. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And Paul is using this idea, this thought of, 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 a, of a runner getting to the starting line of, a, of an Olympic race and, and being the only one that is carrying wrist weights and ankle weights. And maybe even a couple of, uh, of dumbbells in his hand and saying, let's run the race. How many of you think that person will win the race? And Paul is saying, he said, let's lay aside those weights. The weights are what we use in disciplining the body and getting it prepared and getting it into shape and getting it ready to go through this race to complete it and to fulfill it. It's the preparation of it, not, not, but not the, the weights themselves in the race. Because he, he likens the weights as sin. 
He says, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance. So it's a long distance race. These aren't sprints. The Christian life isn't a sprint. He says, let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. A trained runner is going to look for that finish line. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And I tell you what, we could spend a long time on that one passage of that verse. That one little phrase. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let me just say that the joy was the fact that Jesus already knew that he would not remain dead. He would rise again. You see, even though we go through times of struggle and trial in our life, and sometimes these trials and tribulations and temptations and struggles and persecutions and all, sometimes we say, oh, there's just too much. And God says, no, I'm only giving you all you can, you can stand. I'll give you the way out. I'll help you. Because I am the finish line, by the way. Jesus would say that. I'm the finish line. I know how this race ends. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says in verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. If you're looking at Jesus and you are looking at one who has endured it all for us, who has endured such hostility from sinners against himself, if we know anything about what Jesus had to endure for our sins, he says, Consider that, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So the apostle doesn't want us to be discouraged or weary. He says, Look to Jesus. If you're in the race, you're going to get tired along the way. Look to Jesus, because He's the finish line. But He's also your strength. And He's also your wisdom. And He's also your wherewithal. He's everything you need for this race. And Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began this work in you is able to complete it until the day of Christ. If he began the work in us, he's going to complete it. Think about that race where that uh, runner pulled a a muscle, a real bad muscle, you know, problem in in his race, and he collapsed, and he got up, and he wanted to keep running. And out of the stands came his father, and his father picked him up and carried him across the finish line. There may have been a a winner of a prize that day, but that young man won because his father carried him over the finish line. Consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Today, many things move us, folks. Listen, Listen carefully to me. Today, many things move us. Just look at just look at the evolution of magazines, and I think you'll you'll see what I mean. Back in the 1950s, it was Life magazine. Life. How many of you remember Life magazine? Be honest. 
All right. Bunch of old guys here. Okay. Back in the 1950s, it was Life magazine. Then in the 60s, we, we started reading a magazine called People. Not so bad. But by the 1970s, we started reading the, the magazine Us. And by the 1980s, we were reading Self. What's next? Me. You know, we can get so caught up with ourselves that we are of no use for God. We need to be careful. There's something else that we need to understand. Paul was a man of humility. Paul was a man of humility. And we need to be people of humility. And there's something that, 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 that says that, you know, if, if, if God has brought us to this place... Uh, where we are serving him, where we are his, his, his beloved children and all. You know, we're not to be moved from this by anything. In other words, we are to be the same in this place on Sunday and the same on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. Nothing is to move us from the way we are to be before God any day. But things move us. Things can move us. He had compassion for the people that brought him to tears. And he had trials in his own life. Oh, don't bother me. I've got my own problems. No, he was more concerned about the church than anything else. He also taught people the things of God, not holding back. He never held anything back. That's why we read down through verse 27 today. And we'll study it next time. Paul was a servant. He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And thus he could say, none of these things move me. Can we say that today? None of these things will move me. We all face trials. We all face tragedies. We're all hurt and affected by it. And I am telling you this, I am not making light of any of them right now. Because every tragedy in our life is painful. But if it moves us to thinking that, Lord, I don't want to serve you anymore because you weren't there for me. Or you weren't there for my family. You see how easily we can be moved? We're to look at the, at the Apostle Paul and say, you know, here he, here he was, beaten, imprisoned, stoned. He says, these things don't move me. Wherever I go, I'm going knowing that the Lord will be with me. It should be the goal of every Christian to complete successfully the ministry God has given them. But to do so requires that, we, that they maintain the proper perspective of their ministry as it relates to God, to believers, to unbelievers, and even to themselves. And to do less is unworthy of the Lord, who graciously called them into His service. So what is our attitude in all of this? Not only to look unto Jesus, which is of course the one foremost thing to do, but what is our attitude through it all, no matter what we face, no matter what, what things we have to deal with? What is your attitude? May I close with what Paul writes to the Thessalonian church about and closes pretty much his letter to them with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16-22. through 22. I know you're all familiar with these phrases. Each and every one important, each and every one put together is our attitude as believers in Jesus Christ in the midst of all of our trials, tribulations, and temptations. Rejoice always. Stop. Ask yourself, do I rejoice always? 
That's a tough one. There are times I have to, I have to confess with you. There's times when I'm driving my car, I'm not rejoicing because that person just cut me off. I'm, as, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm lecturing them. Rejoice always, he says. And then he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. There it is. <laughs> Rejoice. Pray. And everything give thanks. And everything give thanks. <laughs> Everything give thanks. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> I'm rejoicing. <laughs> Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Paul wasn't despising prophecies, by the way. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul wasn't despising prophecies. The prophecy was only telling him what was going to happen when he did get to Jerusalem. Verse 21. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Sound words. Sound doctrine, sound counsel, sound advice. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't despise His Word. Test things and hold to that which is good and and keep from that which is evil. Sound. Because in doing that and in looking unto Jesus, you shall not be moved. And you can say then with the Apostle Paul, None of these things move me, for I do not count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the course with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's ship sailed straight and true. There was no lodestone mountain that drew him away to shipwreck. Though we'll see later on that he is in a shipwreck, but he's there because God has him there. And he experienced even that too. But not to the loss of his faith. Shall we pray?